Good morning. Uh, let me add my welcome to you if you're new or if you're visiting us. Um, great to have you here with us this morning. Good news on the weather front. Summer is returning next weekend. Do you know that? Apparently, we're going to have a heat wave for three weeks. Yes. Ever the optimist me, but I read that this morning, so I'm looking forward to it. Now, if you're visiting here uh, this morning, we are, during this month of August, we're doing a short series uh, based on foundational verses, foundational principles uh, in the Bible. And uh, we're going to tuck in very quickly, dive in right now to our verse this morning, which you've already heard uh, spoken out a number of times this morning. We're looking at Philippians 4. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, if you want to turn to it, otherwise it's up there on the screens for you. And this is our verse for today, or our passage for today. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. This is Paul speaking to the church at Philippi. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but instead in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, those uh, of you that are awake will have noticed that's not just one verse, that's a few verses. I think the context that our verse for this morning, uh, the context that it's set in is important. And, and that verse, as I've said, is rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Five simple words. They're not words that need us to get out a concordance in order to be able to understand them. They're not words that are complicated and need a whole lot of explaining. They're not words that have a hidden easing, uh, meaning in them. They are five simple words, but I think they're not very easy words necessarily to wrestle with. They're simple words, but not easy words. And in my humble opinion, the thing that makes this verse a bit more challenging than it might be is the presence of that word, always. It's the presence of the word always. Uh, last weekend, uh, last Sunday, we threw a party for our, our third child, Benji, who many of you know, uh, in our house. He was 21 last year, but he didn't want to party last year. And despite all kinds of pressure from the family, because we're a family that love to celebrate anything that uh, we can celebrate, despite all kinds of pressure, he didn't, give, he didn't cave in, didn't want to party for various reasons until this year. We kept the pressure on. So a year late, we had a party for him, and it was a lot of fun. We had a load of 20-something-year-old uh, young adults, uh, more boys than girls, uh, around. We had them for all day Sunday. We had them for a meal on Sunday evening, and we had them for the night on Sunday, and then we had them for breakfast on Monday, and some of them didn't leave till Monday afternoon. So if I'm still looking a, a bit kind of jaded, you'll know why. Anyhow, it was a great day. They did all kinds of things, and we had this kind of... Uh, rather sort of spruced up, they got spruced up into their posh kit for the evening uh, meal that we had in a marquee in our garden. But at 5.30, just for an hour, we decided to give them permission to get in touch with their inner child again, and we had kids' games, just for an hour. And so this bunch of 20-something-year-olds became seven-year-olds again, and the noise in our garden was phenomenal as the kind of competitive juices got flowing, and uh, they played these ridiculous games. And of course, there was a huge amount of cheering and shouting and you know, all that kind of stuff as different teams won at different times. And uh, you might have heard the cheers. And I did wonder if we were going to wreck our relationship with our neighbors forever, because there was so much noise for that hour. But it was a lot of fun. It's not difficult to rejoice and cheer and have a good time, is it, in certain circumstances? It's not difficult to express 
our joy or our feelings of gladness or whatever in certain circumstances. I know personally the moment that Cheltenham Town score a goal because we live up the Presbury Road and every time Cheltenham Town score a goal, I can hear it from my garden because the crowd goes wild. Maybe some of you can too. It's not difficult to rejoice uh, when the man of your dreams proposes to you, is it? Where's Jamie? Jamie, our production hero, he got engaged this week. He... He proposed to the woman of his dreams, and there will have been much rejoicing in Guernsey or Jersey, or which, whichever one of those two <laughs> you were in. It's not difficult to rejoice, is it, when we get the job of our dreams, or when we get a tax rebate, or when we get a pay rise, or when the house sale that we've been longing for goes through, or when our team wins the league, or when you know, our, our favourite sporting heroes uh, win their competition, or when you get the A-level results you, you want. This is a photo from this week from The Telegraph. I'm sure that won't have been everybody. For some people, it would have been tears, but there will have been a lot of rejoicing as well this week when people got the grades they want. But Paul puts this word into the sentence to make it more tricky. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Turn to your neighbour and say, always. (laughs) And in case you need any reassurance, always means always. It means at all times, it means unfailingly, it means in every situation, in every circumstance. That's what it means. That's what Paul's saying here. So it means even when I fail my exams. It means even when I miss my flight, as my son did on Friday. It means even when I get a huge bill through the post or, you know, that I wasn't expecting and there aren't funds in the bank. It means even when my children are pushing me to my limits. It means even when I haven't slept through the night for months. It means even when I've had a horrendous diagnosis. It means even when I've been betrayed. It means even when God isn't answering my prayers. It means even when the person next to me, my friend, my colleague, the person in my life group, is getting the blessings from God that I'm longing for. It means even when my marriage is falling apart. It means even when my dad has just died. Can you think of a situation that always doesn't cover? Rejoice in the Lord always. And by the way, let's just remember where Paul was when he wrote this letter to the Philippians. He wasn't lounging by by a pool in Italy with a cocktail in his hand, as my son happens to be doing as we speak. He was in prison. I've got a picture of it here. That's what they believe to be Paul's prison. A small prison cell, probably hungry, definitely isolated, possibly facing execution. He had no idea whether he was going to be martyred from that place or released. Paul's in that place and he's writing this letter to the Philippians saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Now this isn't a piece of advice. This isn't a piece of advice that kind of, you know, take it or leave it, might help you, might not. This is a command. Okay, let's be clear about that. This is a command. He says something, Paul says something very similar in his letter to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17, he says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. He says it again somewhere else. And in that passage, he goes on to say, This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
Now, we often find ourselves, don't we, praying, what's God's will for my life? Seeking God's will in certain areas of our lives, in relationships or in jobs or where we're going to live or whatever. But wherever else we might be seeking God's will in our lives, this is always God's will for us. That's what Paul is saying. Rejoice always. So, let's look at the passage that this is sitting in. Let's uh, turn to... well. Keep your Bibles open if you've got them. Can we have that back on? Let's look at the passage that this is sitting in. Paul is talking about, he's giving us a context for um, this, this command to rejoice. And if you look at what he's saying here, he's saying, don't be anxious about anything, the next verse. He's saying, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything with thanksgiving. And then he goes on to say, and it's all in the same little paragraph, and then the peace of God will guard your hearts through Christ Jesus. Is God commanding us through his servant Paul to rejoice because he's some kind of narcissistic God that needs his ego massaging all the time? Is that why he's saying it? I mean, if I stood in front of you and got to know you, or for those of you that know me, if I spent time with you and I kind of said fairly regularly, hey, thank me, thank me, rejoice in me, tell me that you love me, you know, make me feel good, you'd, you'd be sending me, wouldn't you, to see a counsellor? Or you'd be telling Tim, that you, know, you were concerned about me. Why is God saying this? Is he a narcissist that needs his ego rubbing? No, absolutely not. This passage makes it really clear that God isn't saying to us, rejoice in me always for his benefit. He's not the one that needs it. He's not like us. He doesn't have an ego like we have. He doesn't, he doesn't wrestle with insecurity. He doesn't need to be told over and over again, God, you're great. God, we love you. Let's rejoice in you. We thank you. We, we find our joy in you. He doesn't need anything from us. Yes, he longs for our love. He longs for our love. He longs to be in relationship with each of us and, and all of his children who don't know him. But he doesn't need anything for, from us. He tells us to rejoice in him for our benefit not his. And this passage makes it clear why. Because when we rejoice, when we use our mouths to give him praise and thanks, when we, uh, when we put things into prayer with thanksgiving, rejoicing becomes the, an antidote to anxiety. Rejoicing becomes an antidote to anxiety. Anxiety has become like a plague, hasn't it, in the Western culture. What Paul is saying is that this is an, an antidote to anxiety. Rejoicing is what opens the door to God's peace to fill our minds and flood our hearts. Who wants more peace? I know I do. Paul's saying, here you are. Rejoicing is connected to God's peace because it actually connects us to God's presence. Here's a bit of technical stuff just for a moment. There's a family of words in the Greek that are connected to the root uh, word car. I don't know if we can have that slide up. Thank you. Four words uh, from this family up here. Kyra, uh, sorry, Kara, Cairo, Charis, and Eucharista. Eucharisteo. They're all from the same word family in the Greek. If you can put up the next slide, here is what they mean. Kara means joy, Cairo means rejoice, charis means grace, and Eucharisto means to give thanks. And we're not going to kind of go into the, the technical depths of how they're all connected, but you can see they are connected. There's a connection between feeling joy and rejoicing. There's a connection between giving thanks and grace, which is an expression of undeserved favor. When, when God gives stu stuff to us, which he is doing all the time, it's grace because we don't deserve it. 
And giving thanks is what embraces that gift and reflects our response to him, which is a response of joy and, and is a, therefore an expression of rejoicing. I love flowers. don't know if anybody else in here loves flowers. I absolutely love, love flowers. Flowers bring me a huge amount of joy, and if I was married to somebody that had a bigger salary, I would have my house full of flowers, because I love them and I love the smell of flowers. And occasionally I'll go out and buy a bunch of flowers uh, you know, at Tesco's or whatever, just to spruce up uh, a room in the house. But flowers bring me even greater joy when they're given to me as a gift whether it's from a member of my family or whether it's from a friend or whatever, when they come and they're a gift and therefore they're an expression of somebody's love or appreciation or affection for me, the joy, my joy level, my joy factor is even higher when it comes as a gift. And what's the natural thing for me to do in that moment? It's to express that joy and that gratitude, isn't it? And it's not just to go, oh, wow, those flowers are beautiful or don't they smell incredible or wow, aren't they pretty? It's actually to say thank you to the person who's given me those flowers. To express my joy, my appreciation, my pleasure, my delight in saying thank you. And Paul is, put, is making a connection and these words in this Greek word family are connected to each other and expressing joy, rejoicing, is I think most sort of uh, clearly understood in the expression of giving thanks. When we give thanks, we are expressing our pleasure and our delight to someone and in something. So this, this word eucharisto that's got charis, that's got grace, that's got joy, in the middle of it is connected to being to rejoicing. Being thankful is a way of expressing joy, kara. And Paul, if you notice, says in this passage, rejoice always, in the Lord, and then he goes on to say, pray about stuff and give thanks in all circumstances. So I'm linking the two. You know, if we need to understand what rejoicing means, I think the easiest way of understanding how do we rejoice is in expressing thanksgiving. It's in being grateful. Which means giving thanks, being grateful, expressing our gratitude is part of the antidote to anxiety. It's that giving thanks, being grateful, is what opens a door for the peace of God to flood our hearts and fill our minds. For those of you who keep up to date with um, scientific research, you'll know that there's a growing body of research that is, is supporting uh, what Paul is saying here from a scientific point of view, and in particular that the practice of gratitude can improve mental well-being. That's what the scientists, that's what the research is saying. The studies show that gratitude encourages us to be happier, feel more zest for life, stress less, sleep better, express more compassion and kindness, forge stronger relationships, and may even boost our immune system. Is that extraordinary? Paul wrote this 2,000 years earlier. You know, the Lord knows what he's talking about. It's for our benefit, not his. One of the world's leading experts on gratitude research, psychologist Dr. Robert Emmons, he found that simply by keeping a gratitude journal regularly, uh, people significantly increase their well-being and life satisfaction. And in the study, the participants who kept these journals reported fewer health complaints than those who didn't, and they felt more optimistic and more motivated than those who recorded daily troubles or daily uh, difficult experiences. 
And the idea that being thankful can improve our well-being has been supported, actually, by neuroscientists who've done research on the brain. And this research has suggested that practicing gratitude can actually rewire our brains and improve our mood. And in 2009, just for those of you who like you know, the research, uh, a National Institute of Health study found that gratitude can trigger a stronger blood, a blood flow to our hypothalamus, part of our brain, which plays a role in stress levels and sleep patterns. And it's also been shown that uh, regularly practicing gratitude can uh, activate the neurotransmitter dopamine, which is the brain's natural feel-good chemical. That's what science says. And it's not much different to what Paul is saying here. Practicing gratitude, expressing thanksgiving, giving thanks, not just thinking thanks or feeling thanks, but giving thanks is part of the antidote to anxiety and will give us an upgrade on our peace. A, a, number of year, a few years ago, some of you know, my mother died and uh, she had been ill for a period of time. She had been diagnosed with cancer. And uh, on one particular Saturday, one particular Saturday, uh, she was particularly ill in a way that surprised the doctors, and she ended up in hospital. And the following Saturday, she died, much to the medic's surprise and uh, most other people's surprise. And during that week, it was an incredibly, as you can imagine, incredibly painful week for me as her daughter and for our family. But I knew that I needed to walk through that week practicing gratitude, because this is part of the Lord's will for us. And so it was my daily practice to look for and find every single thing I possibly could to thank God for in the midst of the hospital visit, spending time with her, you know, uh, spending time with the family, making decisions about what was going to happen next. And I found things every day throughout the day to thank God for. And I can honestly say I knew the presence of the Lord with me through that time in a way that I didn't know before. And he is often very close to us in times of particular challenge and difficulty. But because I, and I, I profoundly believe that because of, of my choosing to be thankful and grateful to him, not for what was going on, but things that I could see were his gifts to me in those moments. He was able to, be, to speak to me throughout that week about what was happening before it happened and about what I needed to do and the part I needed to play and the things that I needed to say to my mum and the things that I needed to say to other family members so that they were able to say them to her. I was able to hear that from him and know his direction and his presence throughout that week. Practicing Gratitude, expressing thanks, is what opens us up to the peace of God because it opens us up to the presence of God. Psalm 100 says that we come into his courts, his courts with thanksgiving him, uh, with thanksgiving. We come through his gates with praise. There's something about praise and thanksgiving that enables us to draw near to God. You know, as Rich said, this passage says, God is near. Rejoice always because God is near. But it's the rejoicing, it's the giving thanks, it's the connecting with him in thanksgiving that connects us to his nearness. It opens us up to his presence and makes us aware of his nearness. You'll know the story of the 10 lepers in Luke 17. Jesus cleansed, the Bible says, cleansed 10 lepers, sent them off to the, to the, to the priests to show the priests their skin that was cleansed. We all know the story. How many of them returned to say thank you, Eucharisto, that's the word in the, in the passage. How many of them returned to say thank you to Jesus? One. 
One returned, nine didn't. And Jesus says, so this guy comes back and, and gives his thanks. The passage uses that word, Eucharistic. And then Jesus says, where are the other nine? And then he goes on to address this chap, this leper, who's been cleansed. He goes on to address this chap that's come back to him to say thank you. And he says, you are healed. You are saved. You are delivered. You are made well. He uses the word sozo. You know, a whole lot more was poured into his life in that moment because he came back to say thank you. The other nine got cleansed and went off and had their, they had their cleansing, but the guy that came back to Jesus to say thank you, he got a whole lot more. The practice of giving thanks, of rejoicing in God and what he's done for us and his goodness to us opens us up to so much more of what he has for us which is what releases his peace into our lives. Be thankful in all circumstances. Rejoice always. Let's make this really practical. What does it look like? I think it looks like regularly uttering prayers of thanks to God. That's what I think it looks like, regularly uttering thank you prayers to God during the day. I'm a total advocate for counting blessings. I don't know if any of you, you do that, have a, have a habitual practice of counting your blessings. We sang about that in uh, that kid's song. I think it's a really good discipline. And if it isn't something you do, I want to encourage you this morning to start making it a daily practice. You know, maybe when you're going to bed, maybe as you're getting into bed, lying in your bed, before you go to sleep, find five things that, that you ha- are, are grateful for during the day, that have happened during the day. Make a habit of it. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for the friend that chose to contact me today. I'm grateful for the exam results I got. I'm grateful that I got a paycheck. I'm grateful that I had no pain in my body today. I'm grateful that there was running water coming out of my taps. I'm grateful that it didn't rain. I'm sure we'll be able to say that one day this week. Be really specific. Be really specific and identify five things that have blessed you during the day and acknowledge them specifically. Set yourself a target if it's not a regular practice. I think it's really, really helpful. And if you struggle to think of any, and I'm ashamed, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to say that there are times in my life where I've been so weighed down, so bogged down with life circumstances that I have really struggled to find something to be grateful for. You know, hands up, that's me. But if you find something to be grateful for, imagine yourself living in a different country, you know, and be grateful that you've got living, uh, running water. Be grateful that you can go to a loo and it flushes. Be grateful that we don't go out on the streets risking our lives because we're living in a war zone. Find five things to be grateful for and do it on a regular basis uh, at one particular point in the day. And it might be hard for you, But habits take time to develop, don't they? And if it's not your habit, it will be hard for you. But actually, what Paul is talking about, rejoicing always, giving thanks in all circumstances, it's a habit, isn't it, he's talking about? He's saying, make this a lifestyle. This should be a habit all the time. It should be a habit of yours to give thanks. It should be a habit of yours to rejoice. But what this passage is saying here is not just rejoice. It's not just identify things to be thankful for. It's saying rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. So I think that means turning my, I'm grateful that I saw my friend. I think it means turning back, that back into a prayer to God. 
Lord, I'm thankful for my friend who took time to contact me. Lord, I'm thankful for my family. Lord, I'm thankful that I had no pain in my body today, whatever it is, and turn those things into a prayer. Thank you, Jesus, that I have a job. Thank you, Jesus, that I live wherever, whatever. And the more we express our gratitude to him, the more we are drawing near to him and the more we are opening ourselves up to his presence and his grace, the charis, part of the Eucharisto. Because it's gratitude that embraces charis, just like that word, and pulls it into our lives. And it actually, though, that expressing thanks brings us into a more experienced reality of the joy that those gifts that God has given us bring. So if being deliberately and intentionally thankful and uttering thank you prayers to God for the blessings in your day isn't a regular habit, I want to encourage you to find five things. We know we should have our five-a-day fruit and veg. You know, find five-a-day things, you know, whether it's in the morning or in the evening, that you are very intentional about thanking God for and do it each day. But if that's already part of the way you live, I want to encourage you to move it up a gear and do it twice a day maybe in the morning and in the evening, maybe when you, you know, get in your car to go to work or when you're walking to the school gate. Find five things. Do it with your kids if, if you've got kids and you're walking them to school. Find five more things to be deliberately and intentionally thankful to God for. And the more you do it, the more you, you will see his blessings in your life because that's how it works. It's like putting on a pair of glasses. And once we start looking for the things to be thankful for, we see more and more and more of them. And actually, that's what the scientific research says too. You know, our brains become wired to look for his goodness and his blessings in our lives. Okay, lastly, let's go back to that word always for a moment. At all times and in all circumstances. This, what we're talking about, what Paul is saying here, this is as relevant on the worst day of our lives as it is on the best day of our, our lives. That's what the word always means. Some of you will have heard of um, Corrie ten Boom. She was uh, a Dutch woman who was in a, uh, put in a concentration camp in World War II with her sister Betsy. And uh, they were both Christians, uh, and there was, as you can imagine, untold suffering in that camp. And they were put in a dormitory at one point in their uh, imprisonment with a number of other women. And this dormitory was infested with fleas. And uh, Betsy, Corrie ten Boom's sister, and she, she talks about this in her book, The Hiding Place. Her sister Betsy was asking God, how are we going to get through this? How on earth do we get through this? And God said to her, rejoice in the Lord and give thanks in all circumstances. So the two of them started trying to find everything they could be thankful for in their circumstances. And uh, at one point, Corrie says that Betsy said, we need to thank God for the fleas. And Corrie says, you know, thought she was off her trolley. But, you know, we did actually thank God for the fleas. And they lived in this dormitory with, with a number of women for, you know, a number of months. And they were able to have their Bible studies and encourage each other and talk about the Lord in their dormitory. And then a few months later, Betsy discovered that the reason that they hadn't been uh, interrupted by supervisors or abused and assaulted by the guards, the women in that dormitory, was because of the fleas. The guards and the supervisors didn't want to go near them because of the fleas in the dormitory. God says we are to give thanks in all circumstances, even on our worst 
days. Not to thank him for those circumstances. I didn't thank him that my mother was dying, but to thank him in those circumstances. And if we've developed a habit of practicing saying thank you to him regularly throughout the day, it becomes so much easier. And if we do that, we will remain connected to his nearness, to his love, to his presence and his grace. And don't we need to stay connected to that in our toughest circumstances? Isn't that where we need to stay most connected? Yes, let's all acknowledge it. It's so much harder on the tough days. It's so much harder in the most challenging circumstances. It's so much harder when it feels like there's only bad news, not good news. Yes. It's much, much harder. But it doesn't mean we're being inauthentic if we don't feel like giving thanks and we don't feel like rejoicing, but we choose to rejoice and we choose to give thanks. That's what faith is, doing something that we don't feel like doing. It doesn't require any faith to do something we feel like doing. It requires faith and trust and obedience to do something that we don't feel like doing. And on the tough days or in the tough circumstances or when we're facing bad news, we don't feel like it, but that's when it has most power. My screensaver on my phone at the moment, I've had for a, a few weeks, is from Psalm 50, verse 14, and it says, make thanksgiving your sacrifice to God. Why do you think the, the psalmist said that? Because at times it's a sacrifice to say thank you. Maybe we just have lost sight of God's goodness, or we're not sure if he is good. So it feels costly to say thank you when it doesn't feel like there's a lot to say thank you for. The psalmist knows that, and he says, make, sacrifice your, uh, make thanksgiving your sacrifice. Do you know what grumbling and moaning and complaining is the opposite of gratitude? And grumbling and complaining and moaning is what draws us away from God. And you know, the Israelites spent 40 years in the wilderness because they grumbled and complained and they moaned. Grumbling and complaining and moaning keeps us away from the fullness of what God has for us. Gratitude does the opposite. It opens our hearts and our minds to all that he is and his nearness and his love and his grace. And it's not that his love and his grace is conditional. It's not that he only loves, decides to bless us when we're being grateful. It's that we shut ourselves down to his goodness and his kindness and his mercy and his grace that takes faith to receive when we go down the route of grumbling and complaining. When we choose to thank him for the blessings in our lives, for his promises to us, for his faithfulness to us, for his goodness to us, even when it doesn't feel like it, we're remaining connected to him. But even more significantly, we are taking out of the enemy's hands the very circumstances that he wants to use to drive a wedge between us and God. You notice how tempting it is to turn our backs on God or to give up or to start grumbling or to start questioning or to start doubting his goodness when things aren't going well. That's exactly what the enemy wants. And our circumstances can be a weapon in his hands to drive us, to drive a wedge between us and our loving father. But we take those circumstances out of his, his hands. We disarm him when we choose to press into God and to give him thanks and to look for the things to praise him for and to find our joy in him when we least feel like it. That's what Paul's saying here. And my peace, God's peace, 
will guard your hearts. It will fill your minds. It will bless you. Friends, as followers of Jesus, we should be the most grateful, rejoicing, joy-filled people on the planet, shouldn't we? We're the ones that have tasted the love of God. We're the ones that have been found by Jesus and are in relationship with him. We are the ones that have pockets full of his promises. We're the ones that know what it's like to be forgiven and to have a new start every single morning, every single day. We're the ones that know what it's like to have a heavenly father who loves us and who has promised to be there for us and never to leave us. We're the ones that have a future waiting for us in heaven. Not because we've done anything to deserve it. All of that is on offer for all of mankind. But for some reason, God in his mercy has chosen to open our eyes to that reality. We should be the most grateful people on the planet. That doesn't mean we, we don't know pain. That doesn't mean we deny our circumstances and the challenges and the struggles of them. It means that we have a but God alongside them. It means that we can say, Lord, I'm really struggling this, but I thank you that goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. It means we can say, my body is hurting and aching, and Lord, why haven't you healed me? But I thank you that one day I'm going to have a new body. It's not that we deny the tough stuff, but it's that we choose to thank him in the tough stuff. Why don't we stand? There's going to be an opportunity for prayer in a few moments. We, we like, oh, sorry, we like to, to end our celebrations together by um, giving the, ch- the Lord a chance just to, to do anything else that he wants to do in our lives, to bless us through praying for each other, his Holy Spirit, Spirit ministering to us. But actually, I felt this morning that we can't wrestle with this, this verse and talk about all that we have to be thankful to God for, no matter what it is that we're going through, no matter what it is that we're facing today, he is on our side, he is for us. So we're going to end um, this bit of our celebration. There'll be a chance to pray after that when, when there's coffee and kids to collect. But we're just going to end now by singing uh, our praise and our love and our gratitude to him and declaring that we are thankful. We are thankful to our loving saviour, to our gracious God, who has so much more for each one of us in here. So over to you, Vance.